curiously strong. I like it. I'm going to try to do the slides with my phone today. I forgot that I had done that in the past and Kyle reminded me. So we'll see. We'll see how that works. Well, I had it pulled up. Maybe it's in my other thing. You can talk amongst yourselves while I fumble around if you want. Yeah, that's what I thought. Let me see. Let me disconnect and connect again to see if that works. It's, th it's thinking. Hey, Brett, uh, it was really great last week, wasn't it? Ah, oh, man, I just love to hear about what the Lord's doing through them and funding it through the bike races and stuff. It's just it's awesome. If y'all weren't here, it was recorded. You should definitely go back on what Apple Podcast, I think is where we put it, and listen to that. It was it was just phenomenal. I felt like it was uh, the best one that he's actually done here. Like, I mean, not that he does a great job every year, but just really explaining what he's been doing and stuff puts a lot of context and gives me a lot of excitement. I'm probably going to have to just say slides, potentially. Where's uh, Kyle at? There he is. <laughs> I mean, I could totally close out and go try. They do. I'm going to do one last thing, y'all. Just one last thing. Look, it's only 1039. We're good, right? We're good. <laughs> you don't have patience for tech problems, Kyle? <laughs> hey, how about that? Probably when my phone goes asleep and I open it back up, then it'll probably stop working. Who knows? I could turn it off. Anyways, okay, let's, let's, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 today. All right, right? Here we go. Back to Hebrews. Let me get there. Um, we're going to be in, we're going to start in verse 11, but I'd like to go back a little bit as I often do to kind of put us into some context. But before we kind of dive in here, I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, do you all have, I'm sure we all have those moments in our lives that really changed our lives tremendously. Um, and let's think of a it in a positive sense this morning, right? Because I know that all of us have probably had experiences where um, traumatic experience and difficulties, but think about it. What is, the one, what is the one experience in your life that you said, man, you know what? My life forever changed in a positive way. Anyone got a good one? I don't usually do participation that much, but does anyone have something they're like, man, that was, that was big time. Adoption of your children and birth, yes. Moving to Peru, I bet that was, yeah, that's amazing. And you got bone added to your nose. I thought you were going to say, but it was a big deal. That's awesome. Wow. Wow. I thought you were going to say when you started playing drums at Stonebridge River. I mean, it was just the most amazing. It was, <laughs> no one said when John became the preacher of Stones River, like that was, just totally changed my life. <laughs> Larissa, should have teed you up for that one or something. I'm just kidding. Um, I think we all have those, we have those moments, those times. I, you know, maybe it's, for some of us, like a, a job change could be really, like if you were in a toxic work environment and all of a sudden you're in a work environment that's not, you're day in and day out, 40, 50 hours a week in that scenario and the change could be like, whoa, or maybe you 
like I did at one point, stop having to drive to Nashville for work, and I got to work from home. That was, I mean, that was life-changing. It was amazing. I Man, no more Nashville traffic. I'd wake up and go get my coffee and start working. That was, that was big time. I think for me, though, my biggest moment of life change was holding Noah. Where, Noah, are you back there? He's not, he's not quite as big as me yet. He, he thinks he is. But he's not. I mean, he's just about half an inch shorter than me, and I can still take him. But I remember holding him as my first child and being like, oh, game on. Like, this is real now. Like, <laughs> like when we got married, I got married pretty young, so it was like, and we know each other for such a long time, it was definitely different and a po- very positive. Um, but for my son, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it was a very good thing. I remember holding him going, wow, I have got responsibility now. Um, I can't go every Friday night and bowl f- for three hours because we used to live behind the bowling alley in Smyrna and they had midnight bowling for three hours for $10. It was awesome. Like, I can do it sometimes, but I just I don't know. I don't think every Friday night I can do that you know, anymore. And, but it was a good thing. It was beautiful and I love having kids even with the challenges. I bring this up because as we're going through the book of Hebrews and even today, we're going to see the Hebrew writer bringing up Like, there is something that has happened, really at a cosmic level, that has changed dramatically everything in the cosmos and the way that these people live life. You see, what John kind of ended with last two weeks ago, I'm going to bring it up because it's been two weeks, was him talking about the high priest and the duties that the priest had and talking about the temple. Imagine growing up doing this, watching, you know, um, your parents' generation and their parents' and, and their parents' generation if you get the chance. But they watched their parents' generation and their parents' generation um, having the Levites that would go into the temple and they would offer sacrifices and do different things like that. And, like, this was, this was the focal point of your faith, of, of, of your, it wasn't just your faith, it was community and everything for the Jewish people. This was like everything was wrapped up in temple, everything was wrapped up in the priesthood, in sacrifices that would be given year after year, as he mentions here, um, right before we get into Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, not chapter 11, verse, chapter 9, verse 11. But he's going to say that something has dramatically shifted that changes all of that. Kind of like way bigger than the moment I held Noah and went, wow, my life has totally changed. Much bigger. In fact, I'm going to read um, the little bit at the end of what he, John had taught just because there's a part of it that he's going to speak on where we're going to be today. And I want to kind of point back to this. Um, actually, I'm going to start in verse 9. I'm just going to read... Um, verse 7 and go on. Chapter 9, Hebrews, verse 7. But only the high priest goes into the second. This is talking about into the Holy of Holies. And he but once a year, and not without taking the blood that he offers for himself and for the sins committed unintentionally by the people. So that's the high priest. He's reminding us that that's what he did. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the sanctuary has not yet been disclosed as long as the first tent is still standing. This is a symbol of the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered, don't forget this, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. He's going to bring this back up. I just wanted to bring that up. So these sacrifices that that, that the priests are giving cannot perfect the conscience. 
but deal only with food and drink and various baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. Now we hit verse 11, where we're going to start today. There we go. But when Christ came as a high priest, in this section, he's going to be very explicit. There's times when he's kind of hovering around things. Here he's very explicit. Christ came, the anointed one came as high priest, very clearly. High priest of what? Of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. I actually don't like this picture a little. There's not a lot of Jesus entering into God's realm. Like, I tried to find it. If anyone's artistic and wants to take and, like, draw something, I should have, like, sent the thing out on Discord. I don't like, it just seems kind of like it's cloudy, whatever. But what this is saying is that, it's, it's cloudy, and um, what this is saying is that Christ, as the high priest that it's just talked about, goes into that holy place, that place where heaven and earth kind of intersect and intertwine and time and all of that together, especially on that day of atonement. Um, it says Christ actually steps through into the realm of God. And it struck me this morning because I think oftentimes I view that or have viewed that very theological and up here in my brain and not really recognize, no, Jesus actually stepped through into God's realm as our high priest. Like he came into God's realm and he offers his own blood. Like he doesn't, we're going to get into the blood of goats and different things like that as we progress through this, but he's offering his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So I just, just picture that. I, w- I was thinking about this, like, we all, a lot of us are on vacations and stuff and have been on vacations this year. In fact, I thought, well, we're a pretty good size group now. At first it was looking a little, you know, I thought it was, everyone got word that I was preaching this morning, so they were like, hmm, we'll just write for Greg or John, the other John, the, the better John. See, the, the Hebrews, right? I'm the old covenant, and he's like the new one, you know, just a little bit better. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Where was I at exactly? What did I say last? Thank you. He's stepping through. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know this happens in my life, right? You can ask my wife. You all know because I, you know. All right, let's get back on track. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, all right. So it says that he entered in, I'm going to read this again, for all into hope. That's what I was going to say. There it comes back to me. We've been on vacations and all those things. That's what I was going to say. And I've seen a lot of, like, really beautiful pictures. I, like, I, I enjoy those. Like, I love when people do their vacation photo dumps. Maybe you don't, like on Facebook. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That looks cool. It's really amazing. You guys did a, you did a, a, a Peru one because you were, what were you doing recently? There was something and you posted some pictures. Yeah. Was it Maggie's? Oh, Day. That was it. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. I just get into that kind of stuff. I love it. Um, 
And I think all of us have probably been in some of those scenarios. Even I was in East Tennessee this week for work. And, man, East Tennessee is really gorgeous. Like, it's way prettier than Middle Tennessee. I hate to say it. I like Middle Tennessee and you all, but East Tennessee is much more pretty, much prettier. But I was thinking about that as I went to this passage because I began to think, you know, whenever we're in those moments and we see this beautiful view or this beautiful scenery, we don't want to rush past that. (laughs) And I don't want us to rush past what this is saying right here. Because this is incredible. This is, and it just, it goes from incredible to incredible-er. <laughs> it gets even more as we read through this. So I want us to, again, just slow down for a second, see that view, and us recognize Jesus entering into God's realm. He did it. It's not just an idea. He actually does it. He enters into God's realm, not with the blood of gaffs, gaffs, goats and calves, but he comes in, there you go, with his own blood, which we recognize, like, he goes through this obedient life following the Lord, does all this, ends up dying this unjust criminal's death on behalf of humanity, on behalf of us, and actually takes that blood before the Father, and it says that he obtains eternal redemption. It's not a once, you know, a year kind of thing. It's not a weekly, like you think about the priests and they were offering sacrifice. They, they did daily things in the temple. There were things they did weekly in the temple. There was a high priest going once a year and offering the blood of bulls and the blood of goats on behalf of the people. I actually call this sermon once in an age because this happened once for this age as uh, a climax type moment that changed everything. Like, when you got that new job or something, but far more, that literally changed everything, that he comes in offering himself and offering his blood. It's incredible, man. You see, like, there are, there are moments in our lives, I thought about this uh, this week too, in a, that people celebrate like once-in-a-lifetime moments. In other cultures, there's like quinceaneras, there's bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. I think the wedding is the closest thing to us, what, right? That you prepare, and that's why. Now, some people don't really care. Some people don't want all the fluff or whatever you want to call it. Um, but many of us like prepared six months, a year in advance, right? Like we're stressing out over invitations I was and over flowers and all that I was so involved in that process I mean my wife said you just you just got to back off because you just care so much about all these things dresses and (laughs) suits and different things like that but because it was and then and then all of us uh, other people you join in and we go like I I enjoy going to weddings I don't know about y'all but it's fun it's good it's we get to celebrate especially when they're close friends or friends and you get to celebrate and eat and drink and dance and party and do whatever you want or just hang out and talk to people it's once in a lifetime it's beautiful and I think that's why we put all that time because if we did it over and over and over and over it might dilute how beautiful of a moment that is right how beautiful that moment is when they come together as one, when we come together as one and decide we're going to walk this life and covenant this together. 
But this, what takes place is even greater than once a year or even greater than once in a human lifetime. This is what the writer is going to say once in an age, once in creation, in this whole thing that we're going through, something happened that's sacred. Something happened that doesn't need to be duplicated. It doesn't need to dilute what's taken place. It happened once, and as he'll say later on, and we'll see, it happened for all. And it was such a powerful moment. In verse 13, and, and that's why in verse 12, it kind of ends by saying, thus he obtained not once a year, not once a life, eternal redemption. He's redeemed eternally. This was such an incredible moment. It doesn't need to happen. It shouldn't happen again. There's no need. It's forever. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more, this is kind of the MO of the Hebrew writer, better or how much more, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, so in that scene that you're imagining, he was doing this through the spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. The idea of sacrifice itself is pretty foreign, I think. I'm talking about animal sacrifice to any of, to most of us. I thought it's so foreign that we don't, most, uh, many, especially the young youngsters, do we even see animals getting killed f- for food or anything like that? <laughs> like that experience, right? Like yesterday, I was making sushi. What did I do? I went to Gandhi's and I said, let me have that beautiful piece of filleted salmon that's sitting right there. I didn't have to rip the guts out. For, I'm not trying to be gross. I didn't have to fillet it. I didn't have to do anything. And he goes, yeah, here you go, right? And here's my money. You know, for a lot of us, Judah, I mean, could you imagine if you wanted a juicy burger. Do you, do you know what takes place for you to get that juicy burger? That McDonald's burger? <laughs> See, I've got some people go, I'm just being, just trying to keep it real. <laughs> they were getting excited. If anyone wants to know, you can go to Farm, uh, Farmington and they can, <laughs> they can, that's right. I would tell Judah you should see what's in the chicken nuggets, but you probably don't want to see what's in the chicken nuggets. Actually, it might not be gross. It's probably cardboard and something else that's just kind of mixed together. Yeah, that's it. But I mentioned that because if we're not even, many of us have probably never even wrung a chicken's neck or understand, you know, what that process is like. We're so far removed but these folks, this was every day. Like this is this is this was part of their daily lives in their agriculture society. And they would, when they sinned, what would they do? They would need to bring sacrifice, right? They were commanded to do this. They were commanded multiple times a year to bring sacrifice to do these things before the Lord. Could you imagine, you know, raising this goat or whatever? And it's beautiful. And you fed it, and you've tended it, and you've taken care of it. And it goes, and it is sacrificed very humanely. They did. And eaten. But, like, you're recognizing, like, it's a beautiful moment because you recognize God's forgiveness, but you're also recognizing, hey, that my sin caused this. Like, the, the, the mistakes that I've made, like, this is why this animal is being slaughtered. You're thankful that God's provided a way of forgiveness, 
but you're also going, man, like I wonder if sometimes we don't recognize still like the weight of, we don't always love talking about sin and stuff, but sin and rebellion are different things. But the beautiful picture here is that though those sacrifices went on and on and they had that reminder year after year, and he'll again talk about that more, there was this once for all moment when this perfect lamb comes before the Lord with this perfect blood and it does what the animal sacrifices could never do. Because we read at the beginning, the reason I read this, in verse 9, if I went back, this is a symbol of the present times during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But here, he explicitly says that he offered himself without blemish to purify our conscience from dead works to worship a living God. See, God always wanted more. And you even see this in the prophets over and over and over. And he'll even mention it here um, in the Psalms. But there was this issue that God had with humanity, the Israel, God, issue that God had with Israel, and that was often they were rebuked because they were just going through the motions, these dead works. Like he would say things like, I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your festivals, right? You're doing these things. It wasn't that they weren't good or that God didn't command them, but it was always with this because you don't care about the widows and the orphans. <laughs> you're not living just lives. You're going around, you're just, in today's day and age, it might be like, you go to church, you give your money, you sing your songs, but you're not living within me, right? Like this is not what's happening. But the beautiful thing is, is that this says that when Christ offered himself through the Spirit, it's giving us the opportunity to not walk and live in dead works. Like, this is big. But to have our consciences purified so that we can truly worship God with our lives, as Jesus said, that there would be those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Like, this is real. Like, God always wanted, and we'll go further, but he always wanted something deeper. And he was providing that through Christ's sacrifice. And I believe that there's um, reason that he mentions the Spirit because it is through the Spirit that we're even allowed, that we can even do this, right? When Christ offers himself and offers this uh, blood, then allows us to be able to receive his Spirit and purify our consciences into where we actually can desire God's ways and want to be knitted with him and want to walk with him. And it's beautiful. Next slide. Yeah, skip that one. Verse 15, for this reason, so with all these things he's talking about, for this reason he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive pr the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. This idea of a new covenant is also something that's probably hard for us to grasp because we've lived in the new covenant. But again, imagine the sacrifices, temple, praying towards the temple, um, going and offering sacrifices, all these things, going to the festivals uh, year after year after year. This is central to your worship, and all of a sudden something is shifted. That would be really hard for a lot of us, huh? Could you imagine all that we do in, in our, the way that we practice our faith, just having a decent shift? It would be very hard. Who, who likes change? I love change. Yeah, some of us do. Like I, I get a little bit, I get a little tired of doing the same thing over and over. In fact, Greg's going to preach now. I'm just kidding. 
That was a little too much woo there. I mean, I'm saying. Just kidding. Um, but this was a huge shift. This was a covenant shift. And think of the covenant, like it, in our culture, we make covenants with our spouses. Like that's probably one of the only places, real places that we make covenant. This was a covenant God had made with the people of Israel, and that's shifting to a new, to a greater covenant. What he's saying is, again, what has taken place is cosmic. It is changing everything. It's changing everything. So imagine being these people and being reminded, hey, things have changed. Things have changed. There's a new covenant. But why? I think that is where this story, and I don't want to rush too fast, or this truth becomes even more beautiful. It says, for this reason, I'm going to read this again, he is a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Not only do we see Christ as our high priest who intercedes for us, as we've heard this morning, Christ as our high priest who presents himself before God for the forgiveness of our sins eternally, we also see Christ as a high priest offering himself before God so that we can have eternal inheritance. We can sit back and think about what all that entails. There's a lot. <laughs> yes, forever with God. Yes, a earth that has been set free from decay. See the new Jerusalem, God's realm and earth realm coming together. We get to see beautiful the beauty of the corruption and stuff being gone. There's so much. There's so much. But also there is the reality that when Christ did this, it's not only things in the future. That there is a reality that this inheritance that has been given will get there because of a death that has occurred actually brings us the opportunity to have some of that coming age brought forward into our age that we're living in now. I don't want to sidestep too much, but that's done through whom? The Spirit. Who Paul would say he is our down payment for our inheritance. Think, that's, just, that's so powerful to think about. That whenever we submit ourselves to the Spirit, receive God's Spirit, and live life in obedience to God in his kingdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're actually bringing the age to come into this present reality. <laughs> and others get to see that. That's why the way we live really does matter. Because they go, why are you caring for those people? What's going on? And you can tell them because that's, that's the age to come being brought forward into, into this age that we're living in right now. There was some it promised eternal inheritance that's coming and that has come. And why? In verse 15, I didn't finish that. Because a death has occurred. That redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. He goes on to have this interesting argument about will and covenant. That Greek word is actually the same people who translate this do their best to grab hold of what this writer is saying. And he says in verse 16, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, 
since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Hence, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Who's written, who's written a will? Has anyone, I'm sure there's plenty of people in here that have done wills, right? And some who maybe need to, and just need to remind, right? We're not young bucks anymore, you know? Yeah, I am, thanks. I appreciate that. I love hanging out with people that are older than me because it makes me feel younger. I had that happen this week. And they're like, oh, you're so young. I know. It's, it's happening less and less the older I get, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, hmm, okay. <laughs> Many of us have written wills, and in that we usually give the means that we do have to our children, or if we don't have children, to our brothers or sisters, family members, something. It, Many of us have, and I haven't, I say many of us, but um, have received inheritances, right? Um, I've seen, I've had friends and stuff receive them, and, and the wild thing is, is like, obviously we would much rather have the people in our lives than have some inheritance. It's not, it's not it doesn't even compare, right? Um, but I've seen people that have received inheritances that don't even pay, f- you know, for the funeral, right? It's just, it's tough. I've seen some that have given them a bump up in life. Like our friends are like, wow, like they were concerned about their money and now because of the inheritance that their parents or whomever gave them, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. Or they were given a house and now they don't have to pay mortgage anymore that's paid for. It's like a big deal. I've also known people to where it changed the trajectory of their lives. Like they got a lot of money. <laughs> like it's like, hey, I was getting close to retirement. Now I'm retiring. Like it's game on. Like this is, this is great. He's talking about this will, this covenant, in that same context of this incredible eternal inheritance. And saying that this death has occurred because, what obviously, a death has to occur for the will to actually be enacted. But this death has occurred so that we can participate in the inheritance that Christ receives. Because Christ walks in lives in solidarity with his people and with us. So he offers himself. That's just incredible. He offers himself to be the death so that we can participate in his inheritance. I don't know much what to do with that or know how to express the depths of that, but it's incredible. His heart is not even, it doesn't feel like it does justice. Then he goes on, as I read a second ago, hence even the first covenant was inaugurated, wasn't, was inaugurated without blood, was not inaugurated without blood. So he goes back to Exodus, which we read, for when every commandment that had been told to all the people of Moses in accordance with the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the scroll itself and the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. Like this is what happened when he gave the people Torah. Like on Mount Sinai, Moses goes down and he sprinkles them with blood. Though this picture seems a little more gruesome than I'm. I mean, it looks like he's like throwing it in their faces. Like I didn't see there was a lot of pictures, but if you watch The Office, remember when Dwight throws the dirt in Jim's face? Like it was kind of like I don't think that, I'm not sure that's what happened. Maybe it was. But he mentions that there had to be a death in, in order for that covenant, that will, that covenant, to be enacted. And they're all obviously incredibly aware of that. Saying, but there's th- for that reason, there was another death, 
by a better sacrifice to enter into this new covenant. It's all this is tied together. Uh, in verse 21, it says, In the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. This is where he gets very cut and dry, as he is, has been multiple times. But the way that God has set this thing up, because death entered in, when sin and rebellion entered in, for whatever reason, we could talk about it for days and weeks we're not getting there, but the reality is is forgiveness of sins is directly tied in with the shedding of blood. Thus, it was necessary for the sketches of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves need better sacrifice than these. I'm not sure I quite grasp all of what he's saying there that... uh, they are his temple that he's pointing to that they had going on and reminding them that, hey, things needed to be purified. He mentions the purification of uh, the temple here, the vessels used in worship, though that's kind of interesting because the Bible does not record that they put blood on the vessels used in worship. It said they put oil, so I'm not sure what's exactly happening there. But it says that those, that temple, the tabernacle, when that was erected, had to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things need better sacrifices than these. So apparently, there was something with the heavenly things, God's realm needing better sacrifices. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, a mere copy of the true one. He continues to say similar things but expounds on them. But he entered into heaven itself, which is what we've talked about, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with the blood that is not his own. Again, this once in an age thing was taking place, not over and over. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins for many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Next slide. Oh, that's me. (laughs) I guess I've done this for years now, and I said next slide. Well, sometimes I just do silly things. I don't need you guys to go to the next slide. I can go myself. How about? Hey, anybody know what that is? You're like, what are you doing, John? We're talking about once for all. We're talking about sacrifices. You flash up. What is? What car is that? Three hundred. Hey, who said that? Andrew. So, whenever I got my first vehicle, it wasn't this. It was a 19, it was, it was a year I was born, 1983 Toyota Camry, and uh, I only had like 90,000 miles, an old la- older lady, older lady had it, and she just drove it like to Walmart and back, and at that point in time, I was 16, so it was 16 years old, and only had 90,000 miles on it. That doesn't happen very much, does it? I love that Camry. I had fuzzy dice. <laughs> had a little hula girl. That would dance for me on my dash. 
Leopard skin seat covers? Oh, 100%. 100%, yeah. Yeah, I did. I love that car until my brother totaled it going down 99 way too fast. Uh, but the positive out of that is Larissa's neighbor across the street had one of these bad boys. Now, it wasn't as pristine as this. It was a little rough. I mean, it wasn't awful. It was in that driveway. I said, Dad, because Dad said, I'll, I'll get you a new car. But, you know, we didn't, he wasn't spending all kinds of money or whatever. Went to the neighbor. He said, you know, I don't know if I've had that for a long time, but I'd sell it to you for 1500 bucks. I'm like, and Dad's like, you don't need that. But when we stepped into that car and it said, your door is ajar, Dad and I looked at each other and I saw the twinkle in his eyes and he saw the twinkle in mine. And I think that he thought, you know, kind of living vicariously through his son, like, man, this is really, really cool. He bought that car for me. I was super excited about that. It was so wonderful that every time it rained, I had to have towels in my car because the T-tops leaked really bad. Remember that, babe? It was also so awesome that that sucker leaked oil like it was just, I mean, it just poured out the bottom of it pretty much, didn't it, babe? When I pulled in, we were dating at the time. When I pulled into their driveway, I was greeted with her father with a piece of cardboard so that I will not leak oil all over his driveway. I had a quart of oil in the back of my car all, at all times because, hey, you never know, every two or three days even, like it was pretty bad. I'd check it and have to pour a little bit something in there. Why do you share all this, John? just want you to know how cool I was when I was in high school. I mean, geez. Actually, that was college. That was college. Um, yeah. See, there was a major, there was a problem that that car, problems, plural. And by the way, my dad probably regretted buying that for me because he put a lot of hours into that, that car, fixing it up and fixing things. Um, but there were some serious problems, I guess, uh, with the engine. I'm not sure what the issue was. I never figured it out. I'm sure there was wore out gaskets and stuff like that that was going to be too much of a pain for me to fix, you know, um, or cost me too much money. And so instead, I would just pour oil into it over and over and over. The old law, the old covenant was kind of like that oil. It was kind of like that sacrifice that would go year after year after year, and you, but it dev, never actually dealt with the root issue. And then if I really wanted to have that car working great and the way it should, I would have dealt with whatever the root issue was with the engine that caused it to continually leak, oil, leak, oil, leak, oil, leak, oil. This whole idea of what this Hebrew writer is talking about is saying that God understood that there was, it was like giving medicine for uh, something that would heal the symptoms or at least let them subside, but there was a deeper problem. Humanity had a far deeper problem than just offering sacrifices year after year after year, just offering as the Israelites kind of dead works where it said, yes, I'll follow you, God, or I'll do some of these things, but their hearts really weren't in union and connected to God. Their consciences really weren't clear um, they were reminded constantly of that sin. But what Christ does here, that once for all, at the end of the age that we just read, this thing offers us the opportunity to have everything healed and to be set right. What he's done is allowed that to happen for humanity to where now you and I don't just... We can, we can do more than just follow rules. We can actually say, 
I desire those. I long for those. I want to be in union with, with God and be connected and abide in him. I love his ways. I love his kingdom. Living in that forgiveness of sin, and there's so much here, and living in the reality of the, the um, inheritance that we're entering into and that we'll have in the fullness. And at the very end of what I just read, beautifully, it says that when he returns again to bring in that fullness of that inheritance, he's not going to come to deal with sin again. He's already done that. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if we talk about that maybe enough. He's not going to come back to offer himself again. He's actually going to come back to rescue all of us who can't wait to see him, who are like eagerly, we can't wait to see you, King Jesus. So beautiful. I'm going to read through just a little bit more of this. We're going to go through 18, but I'm going to go fairly quickly on the end of this. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and is not the true form of the realities. Again, there's this idea of sketches and shadows with temple, with the law, but there's something more true, a deeper reality. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who approach. They're just pouring oil in an engine that's really messed up. Otherwise, would they have not ceased being offered? since the worshippers cleansed once for all would no longer have consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year. You're constantly reminded. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. There's no permanence in it. It's continually offered. Consequently, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, now this is Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, see God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. This is where it all comes together. This is where that healing takes place. Pioneered and driven by Jesus. As I mentioned before, God would often say things to Israel like, hey, your sacrifices, I'm tired of them. Even here he says in the psalm, sacrifices and offerings you desire. But what did God desire if he didn't, offer that, didn't desire that, though he said, told them to sacrifice? It really had to do with obedience connected to God's heart. In fact, even that next phrase, but a body you have prepared for me, um, I don't want to get into translations and different things like that, but too deeply, uh, I'm not going to go down that road, but um, in the Jewish translation, it actually says an ear you have prepared for me, and I was always like, what the heck is he talking about? Finally, when I was reading this, I thought, and I, I may not be correct, um, but I had I read how someone had mentioned that it makes sense contextually that whenever there was a slave who decided to yield themselves to their master, they would take an awl and pierce it through their ear. Contextually, this whole idea is God, Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, saying, I'm yours. I will do what you will have me do. And so you see here the heart of God for us to walk connected. And I, kinda, I showed this picture. Uh, I, li- I like this because this is um, the garden scene. This is the, the Lumo project is excellent, if you all have never watched it. Um, You've got Peter back there slashing off ears. You have all these things taking place. But I, the look on his face, 
walking in obedience to the will of God that Jesus pioneered so that we can do the same isn't always easy. I mean, it's not. I think sometimes we want to make it, oh, man, we'll give our lives to the Lord and everything's going to be, you know, perfect and all these things. We have this and we have these great promises. We have eternal inheritance. We have all kinds of amazing things. But the reality is, is that sometimes it's not so easy. The question is, do we actually trust God? That's a big part of it. The same reason why us as parents will tell our kids to do things and they won't quite understand. But the reality is, if we're good parents, we're doing it for their best interest, the interest of others, whatever it may be, right? Like teaching you how to share. Why? So that you can be a person who cares for other people. And hey, that kid would love to play with that toy too. Why don't you do something nice for them? But they're, they're like, oh, no, I don't want to, you know? And I think oftentimes there's that, that reality between us and God, right? Hey, Ben, would you, can, you go, can you go do this and go, I don't want to, God. Why? But the reality is if we really trust God, we recognize and we t- not only we trust God and recognize his mission, his plan, this redemption, this reconciliation, this renewal of the earth and all these things, bringing men and women into reconciliation to him. All, there's so much to that. That we would recognize, if we can recognize and grab hold and trust, we can, we can realize that when we walk in obedience, as I said before, we are bringing that age to come here. And this is God's heart and his desire to have us united with him, to have us walking in union with him, to have us desiring to do his will. I've come to do your will. Verse 8, it says, when he, said, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to law. Then he added, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first. He's very explicit here. He abolishes the sacrifices that they are doing to bring in the second obedience, willful obedience to God, loving, caring obedience to God, right? Just like Jesus, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, trusting that his way it's best. I mean, in, I mean, Jesus himself, I mean, he cried out. He cried out in the garden. doesn't mean that we can't be like, God, this stinks, man. Can you do anything different? Like, he could say yes, or he could just do like Jesus and be like, no, this is it. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. I'm going to rip through the end of this. And every high priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, as Mike mentioned earlier. And since then, he has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. So there's something that he's waiting to take place. And we get to participate in that, I believe. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, and this has been like, this next passage here has been in the back of, I know the reader's minds. It had been me as I was reading through this. He explicitly comes out and says, this is the covenant that I'll make with them. This is the covenant. This is the new covenant. After those days, I'll put my law in their hearts. He'll, he'll fix the engine that's broken. He'll write it on their minds. And he also adds, as a cherry on top, even better, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It doesn't need to be. 
There's no need to have an offering for sin anymore. It's once for all. It's taken place. It's done. And we're invited into this incredible kingdom uh, with an incredible king who's offered himself willingly and invites us into inheritance and invites us into loving obedience of God. And that's just, there's so much to unpack here. Um, It's a 30-minute whatever sermon does not do justice to this. But I do want to take a few moments. So Greg and I were talking about this, and it kind of turned out really well because he spoke about silence this morning. Um, it's been something that I've been incorporating into my life uh, even more lately. Y'all ever like, like read in the scriptures, and you read, 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 and you get up and just kind of move on? I, I found myself doing that like regularly, and I felt a prompting to go pause, like meditate, take some time. And so like in like personal devotion or whatever you want to call it, you know, if I have, even if I have like short 10 minutes, which isn't much, like I'm stopping at six or seven minutes so that I can just pause and reflect. And it may look like there are times where there's just a deep truth that I'll literally sit in my bed or wherever and just repeat it over and over again. <laughs> Christ is my high priest. Christ, until, I, until it gets in my soul, Christ is my high priest. Christ is my high priest. You know, he gave it all like that. There would be times whenever I will kind of regurgitate what I read just so I can make sure in that time of meditation that I've grabbed hold. You know, there's no right and wrong way to do these things. Uh, there are times when I'll sit in silence and listen to see if there's something that God is speaking or wanting to put on my heart. And I know that we have practiced that before and we haven't done that in a while. And I'm sorry for that. I think it's something that we need to practice uh, regularly. Um, and so we're going to take some time, just a few minutes, a couple minutes, two minutes, and I know that sounds like a lot, and we're going to be silent before the Lord. Um, if you do feel any promptings that you feel like is something to share with the congregation, um, first ask God, is it for the congregation? That's a really, John King brings that up a lot. Like oftentimes we, God might give us something for ourselves, and then we kind of project that on everybody else, and it may not be. Um, but there are times where God wants us. I think he wants us, I, I know that he wants us as a group of people to practice discernment together and listening to his voice. Don't let that scare you because I think that this is a very encouraging environment. And even if you were to get on your bicycle and start to ride and say something nuts and fall off, I don't think anyone in here is going to pick up stones to throw at you. <laughs> Rather, I think they will say, hey, brother, sister, I'm not sure about that. And we put you back on the bike and say, let's keep rolling and let's keep going. But I will say that because I've, I come from a background where anyone will come up here and get a microphone and say, God said this. And there was no discernment with the group of people. First Corinthians 14 says that if a prophet speaks, Everyone needs to discern, like, that's the practice of body, of operating in body together. So learning how to do this together well, I think, is so important, so vitally important for us. It's scary, it's challenging, but I think it reaps really big rewards. So let's take, uh, let's take a couple moments, and let's just be silent before the Lord.
All right, that was two minutes. Doesn't it seem like a lot longer sometimes? I found in my own personal uh, practice as well that oftentimes it takes, I started setting 15 minute timers and stuff because sometimes it takes me a, quite a while to kind of be to still my mind from all the things that are going and taking place. Um, but I do want to give the opportunity if someone has something that they would, they feel they would like that is from the Lord that they would love to share. Um, you can do so now. Is that a, is that a, is that a yes from all, uh, Ethan? You don't want to use the mic? We want Okay. Okay. Yo. <laughs> okay. One, two. So it's already written down. It's in my journal. So I told myself I was going to take my time. Um, so before Mike started speaking this morning, I wrote down the topic for my journal. Um, I journal all the time. It's like, think about how I want to share this. The, the thought that I'm about to share is about a lifestyle of worship. And so the title of this journal entry was worship before Mike opened his mouth, started talking about worship. And then, I don't know, it's just, we're here, we're all worshiping together. We're living a life of worship outside of just this place that we gather to worship in. Um, and so I wrote a couple of things down. I'm going to read a couple of them, and then I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to share a couple of things. So a lifestyle of worship is the privilege, and these are just my thoughts, but the privilege of the believer made possible by the finished work of Jesus via the cross. Um, and I included, like, rest being infused into a lifestyle of worship. Um, and then I wrote this. It says, As our worship deepens, the waters of our soul become still, and we reflect more clearly the God who created us, bringing glory to him. Um, and... So sometimes when I'm writing in my journal, like, this happens a lot, especially when I'm here. It's really crazy. People will be talking, and then it's like, I'll, like, write a word at the same time that what person says the word. So that happened twice. Um, and the, the words that it happened on, I put a little box around it, happened on soul. John said, like, soul, and I was writing soul. And then it also happened with the body. Um, and so, I don't know, this worship and, like, it being this, John was talking about being aware of this deeper reality and kind of like a life of worship out of this place where I'm like, the reverence for what Jesus has done, just crazy that we get to participate in that. So, yeah. That's what I got. That's great. Thank you, Ethan. Um, we're going to sing, and I, I, as we have this practice like if we're singing and there's something we don't want to encourage a rambling service that goes for three hours <laughs> but if it's from the Lord we want to listen to his voice and take that very seriously so um, if even after this is over someone has something uh, and they really feel like it's shared then feel free to come up here I think I do need to share about this song too because this this is a familiar song one that everybody in here knows but when we practiced it on Thursday we ended up doing a little bit different